This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello, I'm Carmen Pate, your host for today's podcast. Psalm 40, verse 3 says, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what He has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. We know that the psalmist David was a songwriter, but has God given you and me a song? How do I discover the words that God might want me to sing? Psalm 65 helps us to develop the story that becomes our song. Our speaker, the Reverend Mark Ray, will guide us through the steps. Mark is the Vice President of Community Development here at Grace and also the Executive Director of our Grace Center for Spiritual Development. Mark holds a Master of Biblical Studies from Dallas Theological Seminary, and a Master of Divinity from Grace School of Theology. He has served churches as an associate pastor and as a lead pastor, and has served as COO of a major evangelistic ministry. Let's listen now to Mark Ray's message, Songwriters. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to write a truly great song? I know there's some engineers in this group that thinking writing a song might not be that big a deal, but have you ever thought what it it might be like to write a timeless song, a song that is on the lips of everybody out there? There have been great songs written in the past, great worship songs, great, great songs about life. I had a chance to write a couple of songs myself, one that even made it on the radio for the three people that heard it and turned the radio off very quickly. They got a chance to hear something I had written. My son, my oldest son, Ryan, the song we just began actually was in a recording studio a number of years ago. He was an engineer, and the guy that wrote that song is a guy named Bebo Norman. My son actually got a chance to be the engineer in the recording studio, when that song was recorded, he got a chance to play on the song and actually write a little bit of it. And that song, when it came out in CD form, and we, we purchased it, my wife and I, it was a really interesting transition time in our lives. We had, it was the first time we had really been away from our kids. Our oldest son was living in Nashville at the time. Our youngest son was up in Dallas. It was still in the Woodlands. We were in Dallas. It was a first time of really being separated, and it was a time of pretty significant trial for us. And that song reminded me over and over again of who Christ is and that without him, I am nothing. The gist of that song that was written is this, and and when I listen to it, when I hear it, it's really difficult for me to control my emotions. We've sung it two or three times in this congregation, and I'm just kind of this little puddle in my chair. A great song. Have you ever thought about what it would be like to write a timeless song? I'm here to tell you today that you're a songwriter. Don't look at me with that shocked look. You're a songwriter, and Psalm 65, where we're going to go to today, is going to show you how you're a songwriter. In fact, we're going to even write your song today, or parts of it. 
Turn with me to Psalm 65. This is a song of David. Psalm 65. And we're going to write a song this morning. This psalm lays out in three sections. There's the first, verses 1 through 4, in which we're going to talk about a song of praise to come. The second, verses 5 through 8, is going to talk about a song of praise to the Creator. And then the third, 9 through 13, is going to talk about a song of praise from His creation. So a song of praise to come, a song of praise to the Creator, and a song of praise from His creation. And we're going to see ourselves in the midst of this. Read with me verses 1 through 4, starting with the superscription. To the chief musician, a psalm of David. This is together. All of us as a congregation, we're going to be in this together as we, as we cite this psalm together. Read it with me in unison. Have I given you enough clues? We're reading this together, all right? To the chief musician, a psalm of David, a song. Praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. And to you the vow shall be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you all flesh will come. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you will provide atonement for them. Blessed is the man you choose and cause to approach you, that he may dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, of your holy temple. Verses 1 through 4, a song of praise to come. We're in this series of songs of praise. Now, a couple of questions for you. How do we know this is a song? How do we know it's a song? It says so. Where does it say so? There's three clues that we know this is a song. The first is, who, who's the instruction to? The chief musician, the choir, right, the chief musician. So to Chris Craig, this song, David has penned this song and said, Chris, this is a song for us to bring to the congregation. So first, to the chief musician, that's a tip that it's a song. What's the second one? It is a psalm of whom? So we know the author, we know the songwriter, and psalm can also be translated song or song of praise. Third, he gives us a very clear indication by simply saying it's a song. Duh. So first we know it's a song. This was meant to be sung in the congregation. This was meant to be a community song that brings the congregation together. So from that little superscription, we get to the chief musician, a psalm, a song, and a psalm of David and a song. So what type of song is it? Yeah, how do you know that? Right where? The first word. It's a psalm of praise. It's a song of praise. We've said a couple of times that there's a number of different types of psalms out there. There's the lament psalm and the ascent psalm, which is a pilgrimage psalm. There is a psalm of praise. This is a psalm of praise. But this one, very interesting. Because the opening statement says it's a psalm of praise. It says, praise is awaiting you, O God, in Zion. That's the New King James translation of that. But the actual Hebrew translation is this. This is a silent praise. A silent praise. Now, that's the literal translation. We're doing our best to get what that word means. But silent praise sounds a little like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Like jumbo shrimp. This is a silent praise, but praise is supposed to be out loud. We're supposed to hear praise, right? But this is a silent praise. Well, there's a couple of different scholarships around this. The first one is this, that it is a, an anticipated praise, 
a praise that has yet to come. So being a silent praise, it is yet to be sung. And much like the band did, you got just a little bit of a hint of this song, and then all of a sudden it stopped. You ever been to a symphony? You've seen when the orchestra is tuning up, and then the conductor comes out, and he taps that baton, and he lifts it, and there's silence. And the whole audience seems to move forward in anticipation of those first notes. That's the idea behind this, that there is an anticipation of this praise. That's one way to put it. And the anticipation has its foundation in Genesis chapter 3 when the curse comes upon the woman and comes upon the man. You remember it says when the curse comes upon the man that when he toils in the soil, what will come out of the ground? Weeds, thorns, thistles, right? Difficult stuff comes out of the ground. It's hard. That's one of the curses. And then you move to to Romans chapter 8, and it says the earth literally groans, creation groans for the coming. Because even the earth is under this curse. So there is this anticipation of praise to come when that curse will ultimately be lifted, when that is off of us. But there's another way to look at this too. And that's this way, that this silent praise is a song that has yet to be sung. It's a new song. It's a new creation. It's a a song that has yet to be performed. Much like that, we get a little bit of an inkling of what the song is. We get a little bit of the tune of it, but it hasn't been performed yet. And it hasn't been performed because we're awaiting the one who will lift the curse. We're awaiting the one who will bring all as it should be. So the type of song, this silent praise, it's a really interesting way that David starts this and says there is praise coming. It's a praise that hasn't happened yet. It's a new creation. It's a new song. It's a new praise that hasn't yet been sung. Isn't that exciting? That there is praise to come that we haven't even been a part of yet. There's a new praise that's to come that is going to be unlike any praise we've ever seen or heard before. And it's praise that's awaiting the God of the universe. So then we can ask the question, what's this song about? What is this, the content of this praise? Where is it headed? And we see this. Let me give you a couple of clues. Verse 2, to you all flesh will come. Verse 3, you will provide the atonement. Verse 4, you're the one that chooses us to approach you, and you're the one that opens your courts that, that we will be in, in your house, that we will be satisfied in you. What's this song about? It's about the works of the one who is the conqueror, the one who conquers our sin, the one who is the atonement for our sin, the one who conquers that sin. It's the works of the one who conquers anything that keeps us from the God of the universe, from being in his courts, from being satisfied. This is the work of the conqueror king, Jesus Christ. It is a song of praise about the one who will bring the atonement, the one who will conquer our sin. It is the work of the one who will make it all right, the one who will bring everything the way it should be, the one who will make us satisfied, the one who has conquered everything to bring us into the very throne room of God. It's a psalm of praise to him. Chuck Colson tells the story, and I love this story. He tells the story of a man named Fred that he met while Fred was in Walla Walla prison. 
Fred was a heroin addict who had been convicted of a number of robberies, one in specific, and that's what he was in prison for. He came to his parole board one day after the family that he had robbed had prayed for him and had shared Christ with him. Fred came to know the Lord Jesus Christ while he was in prison, had a relationship with him. It changed his life, transformed him. And Fred came to the parole board, and not only did he confess to that crime of robbery, but he said, I'm a believer and I can't keep silent. And he confessed to every other robbery that he'd had. The parole board dropped their jaws, said, we can't believe this. You just confessed to a string of robberies. Well, he was acquitted of that conviction of that one robbery. He was set free and awaited his retrial in front of his judge for everything else. While he was out, he started to go to church. He started to be connected with people. He became a part of a Christian ex-prisoner's fellowship. And the Lord began to work on him and, and his life began to change. And he came back into the courtroom for his retrial, which happened to be on the day after Easter Sunday. So this was Monday after Easter Sunday. He walks into the courtroom, friends and family filling the courtroom. And they give testimony on his behalf. He stands before the judge finally and he says, Judge, I'm guilty of all of this. And whatever punishment you mete out on me, I'm prepared for it. Even if it means I have to go back inside. And if I have to go back inside, then I'm going to go back inside and I'm going to share Christ with everybody I know in there. I'm going to work for Christ inside this prison if you send me back. The judge pounds his gavel and the room goes silent. And he looks at Fred and he said, young man, I'm going to give you 10 years for every count of robbery. Suspended. And then I'm going to tell you, you're on probation, but you have to stay in the drug rehab program that you were in. And finally, you need to pay restitution to every family at 150% of what you stole. The total came to $2,200. He banged the gavel that that was his sentence. He stood up and he said these words to him. He said, Fred, our best wishes go with you. And the judge got up and left. You could have heard a pin drop in that courtroom. A pin drop. And then Fred's pastor jumped up on the table and said, let's sing it. There was a reporter from the Seattle Times in that courtroom that day, and here's what the, the reporter reported. I quote, everyone stood up. Little old ladies in spring dresses, ex-cons, girls in jeans, men in business suits, a biker with his motorcycle jacket and helmet, prison guards, and they all began to sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Officials later said it was the first time a Seattle Superior Court case ever closed with the doxology. What Fred knew was the conqueror king, the one who had conquered his sin, the one who had conquered his guilt, the one who had conquered his shame, the one who was the deliverer, the one who had conquered any obstacle that kept Fred from being with the God of the universe. In your bulletin, in the sermon notes, there is a little line there that says, what's your song about? It's right there. What's your song about? What I'd love for you to do is just take a moment and ask yourself the question, what has the conqueror king conquered for you? What has the conqueror king conquered for you? Has he conquered sin? Has he conquered separation from God? Has he conquered you from something in your life that has kept you from the Lord? What, is he, what has he delivered you from?
Take just a minute and write on that line what the conqueror king has done for you. Take just a moment and do that. It's the first part of your song. We're going to now read verses 5 through 8 as we get to a song of praise to the creator. Let's read 5 through 8 together. Really together. By awesome deeds in righteousness, you will answer us, O God of our salvation. You who are the confidence of all the ends of the earth and of the far off seas, who established the mountains by his strength, being clothed with power, you who still the noise of the seas, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of the peoples, they also who dwell in the farthest parts are afraid of your signs. You make the outgoings of the morning and the evening rejoice. Isn't that just great? Isn't that fabulous? Listen to how Eugene Peterson says it. He says this in the message. All your salvation wonders are on display in your trophy room. <laughs> Isn't that great? All your salvation wonders, everything that you have done related to salvation is on display in your trophy room. You're the earth tamer, the ocean pourer, the mountain maker, the hill dresser. You're the muzzler of sea storm and wave crash, of mobs in noisy riot. Far and wide, they'll come to a stop. They'll stare in awe and wonder. Dawn and dusk take turns calling, come and worship. Boy, he has a way with words, doesn't he? Wonderful phrasing for this, a song of praise to the creator. So who is this song for? First, verse five, this is the one who answers us. Man, if you've got your Bibles out, underline that right there. Star it, highlight it. By awesome deeds and righteousness, you will answer us. So how, does, how are we answered? How are our prayers answered? By the what? By the deeds of righteousness. In the deeds of God, our prayers are answered. Isn't that an incredible statement? God doesn't just say, okay, he shows up. When we pray... God answers, and he answers in his deeds, and he answers in his deeds of righteousness to make things right. So first, this song is for the one who answers our prayers. Second, this song is for the God of our salvation, the one who creates. I love this phrase. This is for the one who creates. What has he created? Well, the mountains and the seas. What's he created? The people. What's he created? all of the, the stuff that's there that, that registers worship to him. He's the one who creates it. Now think about it from this day. This is a great statement, but you remember Jesus when he's in front of the Pharisees and the Pharisees come to him when he's coming in in the triumphal entry and they look at him and they say, keep the crowds quiet. What does he say? If they stay quiet, even the rocks will cry out, Right? What he's really telling them is they're dumb as rocks. But, but literally what he's saying is, even my creation will cry out to me. There are other passages in Scripture where the trees do what? The rivers sing the songs. It's an incredible statement about the one who creates. And that's what he creates. The mountains, the seas, the people, all of the majesty of this earth in the big and the small, this song is for the one who creates. 
It's also for the one who brings all unto himself. Those who dwell in the farthest parts, those who are far and those who are near, he is the one who brings all to himself. Philippians 2, 9 through 11, we hear and we understand from Paul that Jesus is the one that God raises up, brings him in glory, and in his name, at his name, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So this is, a, this is a song of praise to not only the one who answers our prayers, but to the one who creates it all and to the one who brings all unto himself, including the morning and the evening, which rejoice. There's that entire creation that comes to him again. And what's the song about? It's about that creator king. We saw the conqueror king. We now see the creator king, the one who has created it all. Scripture says that in Christ Jesus, he is the one in whom and by whom and through whom and for whom it was all created. So it's a song about the creator king. Donald Barnhouse, the great preacher, tells this story about one of his professors guy's name was Robert Wilson. He was a Hebrew professor at Princeton Theological Seminary. Barnhouse had a chance to come back and preach a chapel service in front of the students 12 years after he was there, and Dr. Wilson was right on the front row. Now, let me just tell you something. There's something a little daunting about coming back, and he says this, coming back and preaching in front of the guy who taught him the scriptures, sitting on the front row. He got through preaching, and after the service... Dr. Wilson came up to him and he said this. He said, if you come back again, I will not come to hear you preach. I only come once, and I'm glad you are a big godder. When my boys come back, I come to see if they're big godders or little godders, and then I'll know what their ministry will be. And Barnhouse said, Dr. Wilson, what are you talking about? Dr. Wilson went on. He said, well, some men have a little god. And they're always in trouble with him. He can't do any miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. Then there are those who have a great God. He speaks, and it's done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. And you, Donald, have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. Then he paused for a moment, smiled, and said, by the way, God bless you. And then he walked out. We have the creator king who is a big God, amen. An enormous God who has created everything from the smallest, most minute thing to the ends of the earth. He's there and has created it all, including the way for us to be with him. This is the creator king, the one who has created it all, who has been in the midst of it all, who has done the most marvelous, incredible things. Donald Barnhouse saw him as a big God with unlimited power to create. What's your song about? You have another little line there that says under number two, what's your song about? I would ask you to take a moment and just ask yourself, think about and write down what has he created 
for you? Has he created life? Has he created family? Has he created salvation? Has he created eternal life? Has he created the heavens and the stars? Has he created the beauty? What has he created for you? And write that down. It's a great next statement to your song. If you need a little more time, it's okay. He's a great God. So let's read 9 through 13 now as we continue in this psalm. 9 through 13, this is a song of praise from his creation. 9 through 13, together. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. You crown the year with your goodness, and your paths drip with abundance. They drop on the pastures of the wilderness, and the little hills rejoice on every side. The pastures are clothed with flocks. The valleys also are covered with grain. They shout for joy. They also sing. They also sing. A song of praise from his creation. So who sings this song? You can say it. His creation. And who's his creation? Rocks, hills, trees, mountains, deserts, mesquite scrub, caliche rock, oil and gas. Amen. Shouts his creation, right? Shouts his praise. His creation shouts his praise, including you and me. The earth, the inhabitants of the earth. We're the ones who sing this song. And why do we sing it? I love this. Verse 9, because you visit. You visit the earth. And you bless it. You greatly enrich it. Not only do you visit the earth now, but remember, this is a song of praise to come, which means he's going to visit it again. When Christ comes back, this will be blessing upon blessing. He brings the floods to the earth. He brings the rains. You know, it was funny. Melissa and I were gone. My wife and I were gone last week. We got a chance to go visit our grandkids. And we left. And what happened when we left? It rained, right? Now, If you didn't go away, you may not have noticed this, but we came back. And when we came back and came driving in, it was green. And it was beautiful. And the the flowers were bursting forth, and there was new green on the trees, and there was new life. There was it was incredible to see in Midland. And it was because God had poured his blessing out in rain upon that. This is what it's talking about here that he visits the earth now and we see his blessing. Now, this is how pervasive God's blessing is if we'll just look for it. We live in Midland, right? And what's the single biggest thing in Midland that there is? Dirt. So when you open your windows in the morning and you see after a dust storm, you see a line of dirt and the, the, the red dust built up in the corners of your windows, don't look at that and say, oh, it's dirt. Look at that today and say, that's God's blessing. 
because it fills every nook and cranny. God's blessing is so overflowing, it's everywhere. So when you see it on the floors and you see it on your ledges and you see it on the windowsills, what is it? God's blessing. Just let it remind you of that. I know that's tough, but let it remind you of God's blessing when you see it. Here's, here, verse 11, he says, and your paths drip with abundance. God's paths drips with abundance. Here's what he means by that. It's the visual picture of God driving a cart, and the cart is full of blessing. And when the cart jostles the ruts in the road, the blessing pours out over the sides of the cart onto us. That God's blessing is so abundant that a The the cart that God owns can't contain it. It just pours out over and onto us. Blessing upon blessing upon blessing. Isaiah 44.3 says it this way. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. Boy, do we know that one. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. We've seen that blessing in abundance. Not only in the fact that we have Christ here and now, but that he's going to return. And when he returns, he will make it as it should have been in the beginning. He will make it all fresh and all new. He will bring shalom. Everything is as it should be. And what David gives us here is this incredible picture of that blessing upon blessing upon blessing. And the fact that the praise comes from his creation. I love this. The song is about, literally, the works of the coming king, the one who is going to visit again. He has visited once, he will visit again. And listen to this, verse 12, the little hills rejoice, the pastures clothed with flocks, the valleys are covered with grain, they shout for joy and they sing. My favorite time when my wife and I lived in the woodlands was the time of the spring, because a place that has nothing but trees. There are people that think the woodlands is claustrophobic because there's so many trees you can't see anything. But there is a green that comes in the springtime. You may see it in Colorado. You may see it in other places. But when springtime comes, there is a green that is so intense and so bright it almost hurts your eyes. The blessing that God has, and we're anxious for a springtime here for us to be able to really experience that. But the the blessing that God gives is that abundance where you just see it and you notice it and it's there and you take part in it because it's a blessing that's poured out on us. There's a third line here that says, what's your song about? And I want you to take a minute and think about what the coming king means to you. Does he mean hope? Does he mean blessing? Does he mean deliverance? Does he mean peace? Can you hardly wait? Take just a moment and write a few things about what the coming king means to you. So we've looked at the conqueror king. We've looked at the creator king. We've looked at the coming king. There's one thing we're missing in this song of praise, and that's 
Because one is conquered and one is created and one is coming, there is a response that we have, and it's the first word of the psalm, and it's the word praise. There's a response that we have to the king, and that response is thanks. In the Old Testament, how they would say thank you is a really interesting way. They would do it in a number of ways, but one of the primary ways was they would erect altars and put wells in all over the country that were reminders of incredible things that God has done. So there would be an altar here, a stone altar here, there would be a well here, and they would be reminders as you would come by because those were the places they would stop and they would tell the story of what God did in that place. I've shared this once before, but it's very appropriate to share it here. Ron Allen, Hebrew professor at Dallas Seminary, says this. He says, One of the most startling and surprising observations of recent studies of the book of Psalms is that in the Hebrew language, there appears to be no word meaning thank you. In the Old Testament culture, the word used in place of thanks was the word praise. That is, one would tell another what God had done rather than merely saying, thank you, Lord. It didn't stay with you. So the idea here is to say thank you to God you would tell of his name to someone else. The idea here is in order to show the Lord and to bring glory to him and show Christ for what he's done for us, the way we would do this is we would tell somebody else what went on. Now you've just written down things that the conqueror king did for you, things that the creator king has done for you, things that the coming king means to you. This is the beginning of your song. And by the way, every one of you has a unique song made unique because of the person of Jesus Christ in your life. And it's unique to you, only you, because of what Jesus Christ has done in your life and through you, because of what he's done for you, Through his death and burial and resurrection, what has he done? He's given us salvation, eternal life, forgiveness of sins, rich and abundant life now, here, today, and eternal life. And that's expressed differently in each one of you. The way we say thank you and the way they did in the Old Testament times was to tell somebody else about who God is. They sang their song. This is what the Psalms are all about. This is what David wrote about. This is what they sang about. They sang the praises, the thank yous of the God of the universe. Maybe it's time that we become singers of our song. And I want to challenge us a little bit this morning. I want to challenge us because you have a song and your song is unique to you. Your song is unique to you because of Jesus Christ. It's unique to you because of what he's done in your life, in you, through you, and for you. It's unique in your life because of how he's built you. It's unique in your life because of your experiences, of your personality, of your Colby. It's unique in your life because of what he's done for you and in you and through you. And because it's unique to you, there are other people that need to hear your song. And by the way, if you don't have a song this morning, come talk to me because you need to know Jesus Christ who is the creator of your song and I'd love to talk to you about that. But the person of Jesus Christ is who makes your song unique. And it's time we sing it and I want to help us. 
Here's three little suggestions. They rhyme, surprisingly enough. The first one is prayer. We begin today to pray, who does the Lord want me to share my song with? Just pray for one person. Lord, raise that one person up that I might see him and understand it and see it, that this is who you want me to sing my song for. So prayer first. Second, care. That person that God raises up, we put Christ, put a little meat on our Christ bones and we go show them who Christ is. Somehow, some way, the way the Holy Spirit leads you and guides you, we care for them. So prayer and then care, and the third is share. We sing our song. We tell them. We share our story. This is what God did for me. This is what Christ has done in my life. This is what's there before, occurring, before now, and in the future. This is what he's done. So prayer, specifically for one, care, we reach out and touch them, and share. We tell them. We share our story with them. Now, let me cast a little vision for you. There's about 300 people here today. A little more, a little less. What happens when 300 people begin to pray for one person specifically, each of us? Do we think God won't answer that prayer and raise somebody up? What happens then when we reach out and we care for them a little bit? We show them Christ with flesh on. And what happens when we begin to tell our story? Now, what do you think God is going to do? What do you think the Holy Spirit's going to do in the midst of that work if we go out and 300 people share our song with 300 other people? That's a pretty neat vision, isn't it? Touching the lives of 300 other people simply by singing your song because that's the song that God has given you through His Son, Jesus Christ. I started this by telling you that my son had an opportunity to be a part of this song. The song is called I Am Nothing. (laughs) It's going to get me right now. Friends, we have a song. And our song has been given to us by Jesus Christ because he loves us, because he cares for us, because he died for us and he rose from the dead. And this song is the song for me that is a song that says... Without him, I'm nothing. But with him, I have a song that people need to hear. And a song that needs to be sung. And a song that can touch the lives of others because it's his song in me. We have a song to sing. Christ has given us a song. Let's not be silent. You have been listening to Mark Ray. I have certainly been inspired to write my song of praise and thanksgiving to our faithful and powerful God. I pray you have been inspired as well. Do you have friends or family who would be encouraged by this series on songs of praise? We encourage you to share our podcast. In addition, we are making available to you a free study guide of the series, which would be great for personal or small group study. Download your free copy today at gsot.edu forward slash songs. That's gsot.edu forward slash songs. We're so happy that you tuned in today. 
Always remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash savinggrace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.